Hello, everyone. Good morning, everyone. We're just waiting for all the social media feeds to go live as we go live with BSort Global and AHDB with their fantastic Isaac and our fantastic uh, guest speaker today, uh, Rex. And we're just waiting, as I say, for all the social media to go live. Uh, Rex, we're going into more detail with. He's, um, um, I'm going to call you, Rex, one, one of the um, a, a real expert in real estate um, investments. And so we'll, we'll come on to some of the major projects that you've been working on. Um, Rex, there's a really interesting um, a conference that Isaac and I went to a couple of weeks ago called the Oxford Farming Conference that was held in Kelsapreeze, um, Oxford. And there was a, a great speaker in, in the morning. Um, I said, I don't know if you remember her name, uh, Wednesday morning. And she was just, she was talking about um, the amount of uh, energy consumption by, by, by countries. And, and she's basing it on um, the amount of resources that countries use based on 365 days and that how many countries could get to 365 days and just use their own resources to get through through, through the year and what, what piqued my interest about that that conversation was yesterday we were talking to an amazing business in the um uae that's uh, that's growing fresh food that we're helping with on a on a recruitment perspective but the, our hr contact was um was saying how she thought it was a bit immoral that in, in the likes of um Dubai that they um in the summer it's like 50 degrees and really humid um but they have air conditioning everywhere so yeah got that but also they have air conditioning outside in, in the restaurants Rex to, to so you could be sat outside in Dubai 50 degrees and you've got air conditioning um thumping down at you and sort of the, the the sustainability footprint on that and how ridiculous that is but just go back to this speaker from the Oxford Farming Conference so she was saying about how uh, countries she basically asked what countries can get through the whole year using their own resources um isaac can you remember which, which country was uh, was near at the top of using its own okay. so it's J J jamaica got to 360 days in a year of using their own resources and i didn't think um, that that would be jamaica and, and again my my bad french kelsey priest uh, the country that was worse was uh, that was Qatar they only got through six days of, of the year and that might be on the back of um, the, uh, the, the the World Cup but it's uh, yeah just this oxymoron about everything we're trying to do um, in respect of uh, environmentally and um, trying to save the planet but also we've got to be in buildings and I suppose Isaac that's one reason that that we wanted to bring Rex on Isaac introduce Rex please because we're all, all green lights on the social media yeah so we'll we'll get on to a moment uh, a good friend of mine Rex um We'll be talking about some you know, and how they go about uh, deciding and uh, doing long-term projects. So um, yeah, really excited to have Rex. Um, I'm Isaac uh, van Heerden. I work for uh, AHDB. We're a levy-funded organization working on behalf of farmers. Uh, we do research. We provide market analysis and intelligence. We do farmer-to-farmer -farmer knowledge exchange. We look at consumer trends. Um, we currently got something running called the We Eat Balance campaign in supermarkets, uh, in newspapers, on television, video on demand. Uh, this month, for instance, we've got 200 uh, teachers booked into two conferences in Edinburgh and London, uh, getting teachers to understand and, you know, the We Eat Balance and Food Effect of Life, uh, but better. And so they can go back into their schools to, to um, give that to you know, some of the, their students. Um, <clears throat> This thing that I lead on for HDB specifically is something called AgriLeader. And as part of that, we really believe uh, to run successful businesses, you've got to be able to lead yourself, uh, lead your people, but also lead your business, which is what today is all about. And we've got some recs from outside of the industry that will share some of his ideas um, on that uh, three topics of leading self, leading business and leading people. And just a Quick plug, we've got our flagship event, the AgriLeader Forum, on the 7th and 8th of February. So if you're interested in that, if you're a farmer or working in a, in a levy paying business, get in contact. And, and yeah, we're really looking forward. We've got an awesome lineup for that. But, and right, and that's enough. I'll um, get Rex on on, on screen. Uh, but, guys, I'm laughing because I just had a WhatsApp message saying, um, Isaac, uh, we love your stately home. What's its name? <laughs> Tudor Barn. <laughs> <laughs> Tudor Barn. And, and actually that segue, segue is quite well into Rex. Rex, tell us where you are. Tell us what's uh, what's behind you through through your window, because I, I love your, uh, your 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 description in our, in our green room earlier. Rex, where are you? Yeah, well, um, I'm smack bang pretty much in the centre of the city of London, um, just on top of Leadenhall Market, where just over my shoulder, you can probably see some pretty substantial steelwork going up yeah. on 
uh, one of our latest uh, development schemes called One Leadenhall. Um, it's, a, it's quite a substantial tower building of about 440 odd thousand square feet, um, which uh, we've already done a major deal to a big law firm called Latham Watkins, who are going to predominantly wow. occupy it. Um, it's an incredible site, which leans, I mean, it literally sits on top of Leadenhall Market, which as a historical um, sort of landmark in the city is, uh, is fairly spectacular. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people recognise it as Diagon Alley uh, in course, the Harry Potter yes. series. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so we, we have a lot of lot of very excited Japanese who, who like to come and visit, um, <laughs> who, who apparently like Harry Potter a lot. So um, it's, yeah, it's a great it's a great great place to be. Um, and I suppose without getting into the weeds of, of how things are done, it, it's it's a challenge that as a developer we have to confront fairly head on, which is sort of marrying um, the you know new build. Um, with yeah. the history that that uh, we're building uh, into, if you like. Yeah, and, and, and Rex, I think that's a, one of the reasons why it was inspired by Isaac and um, his colleagues um, at HTP to bring you on, because there's, there's a lot of similarity in respect to farms, because you look at a number of farms, um, and you, you, you were joking about uh, uh, Isaac's house, Tudor house, but there's a number of farms that have got long, uh, long history. Um, I know of one farm that uh, is... Uh, one of the farm buildings is virtually fully moated, but they wanted to put down a new grain store and all of the uh, the planning elements and constraints to keep everything in, in keeping. Again, that's why we were really keen to get you on because we think there's a yeah. there's a lot of synergy. Um, Rex, just so for the for the people um, live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, or oh, I've forgotten one, um, and uh, on the podcast, I just want to give a bit of a, um, a more depth of, uh, background on, on yourself so that people can also research you uh, whilst we're talking or um, offline. So it's, it's great to have um, Rex of Brookfield Properties on on, um, on board. And we're going to be talking about future-proof thinking, predictions and adaption. And if we want to find any anyone to, to tell us about that within uh, the real estate world, it's, it's going to be Rex. Um, Rex, I love your profile. Um, your profile describes you online as mind open. Always learning, desire-driven, relationship builder, deal-doer, not forgetting the bits in between, which I'm appalling at. Uh, Brookfield is an, ama an amazing enabler as a business. Sleeves rolled up and always ready to go. Uh, Brookfield Properties develops and operates real estate investments on behalf of Brookfield Asset Management, one of the largest alternative asset managers in the world, from office to retail, logistics to multifamily, and hospitality to development. They work across sectors to bring high quality, sustainable real estate to life around the globe every day. Rex has worked on uh, some of London's most iconic buildings, including the Gherkin, Heron Tower, and the Olympic Legacy at Stratford to promote, promote both functionality in design and, and, uh, and placemaking. And, and Rex, over and above that, I hear you're a bit of a cyclist as well. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite going to quite confess to being a mammal just yet, um, only because I'm still trying to pretend I'm not middle aged. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. Um, Show definitely off to us. Tell, tell us about this, uh, the L2, L2B, L2B. Tell us all about I that, please. London to Brighton. Oh, well done. Oh, London to Brighton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. I sort of, yeah. London to Brighton was, well, I did the ATAP earlier in the year, which is a horrible uh, ride, which actually um, mirrors the Queen stage of the Tour de France every year. Uh, and I thought London to Brighton as a charitable uh, endeavour following that probably wasn't... Um, uh, wasn't long enough so I, I did the London to Brighton uh, and then cycled home so sort of du doubled the distance basically. <laughs> and, and presumably you trade extensively to do London to Brighton because it's quite an arduous for our international um, listeners what, what, what is it I think is it 60 miles 70 miles so, and, and, and there's ditch yeah, the, 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 yeah. the Tour de France thing that you did then Mac uh, Rex that were that were how long was that? Yeah, that was probably hard. yeah London to Brighton was like a like a family day out really compared to, <laughs> compared to the attack. Uh, which is climbing some of the sort of right, really iconic alpine uh, climbs um, in the south of France. So things like Alpe d'Huez, which is where we finished, uh, the Galabier and the Croix de, uh, the, oh, the Croix de Fer. Um, so yeah, some pretty pretty horrible horrible climbs. Okay, so, so yeah. are you Rex? Are you one of those annoying people that are just naturally? Uh, no, <laughs> I have to work a bit harder hard at it. <laughs> But yeah, it's, I think it's all part of the personal challenge, though. Uh, I think I'm probably intrinsically quite lazy. So unless I have something fearsome in the diary, 
um, uh, it doesn't motivate me. So I, yeah, I've always got to have something horrible to motivate me. So come um, on, come on. What's in the diary? What's in the diary for 2023 or 2024? What are you aiming at? Uh, well, this year I'll be doing um, I'll be doing a 225 kilometer race in Mallorca at the end of April. So I'm trying to prepare for that one at the moment. And help me on on foot, running, uh, and, uh, bicycle, on, on a bike. Thank the Lord. Okay, um, and if you send the invite to uh, to Isaac and, and us, uh, um, I suspect you might get an out of office on that one. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll do that one in a day. Isaac might do that in three or four. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, weeks. Wow. Or okay. Months. <laughs> So, yeah. so come on, let, let's get let's get to your uh, your your day job because we've got to find out before <laughs> before, yeah. before you keel over on, on one of your your mad bike bike rides. So we get, we've got a bit of a summary as to what you do, but just just help us. What do you actually do? Give, give us your. I know there's not such yeah. a thing, especially in our mad times. What what's your average day? What's your average week? What do you, Rex? What do you yeah. do? I mean, well, I was clearly being thoroughly enthusiastic when I wrote my LinkedIn profile, but I mean, I suppose my title, if you like, is uh, is a director of leasing. Um, and we, uh, well, I sort of look after, um, I suppose, the cradle to grave, along with, uh, with obviously a lot of other very expert um, teams uh, of the life cycle of a building, if you like. Um, so, for example, you know, I will give advice to our, to our in-house teams um, on the schemes that we're looking to purchase. Um, and there can be very, there are various sort of funds and drivers behind what those purchases may or may not be. So we will give sort of market facing advice. So I, I'm, if you like, at the coal face of, of the yeah. occupational market in the city of London, yeah. um, I understand and, uh, what occupiers and businesses are looking for in real estate. Um, and then that feeds into our acquisition strategy, um, which then feeds into our design. Um, so if we're doing a ground up development or a major refurbishment of a, of a building, um, I will look at um, what we need to deliver in order to make it competitive and uh, a prime asset once it's delivered into that marketplace. Yeah. Um, I will then liaise with businesses to, um, uh, to lease space to businesses within those buildings that we've we've bought and, and delivered um, either on a pre-let which is prior to completion which is what we've done behind us here um, or uh, sort of um, any immediate vacancies that come up as biz businesses churn through the, through uh, our portfolio um, we then the, our relationships with our occupiers are, are pretty critical to us because yeah. um, so even on a 10 year cycle, the chances of the same team being in, in position um, from day one to day 10 are, are relatively low. Wow, so point. Yeah. so the, the communication that we have has to be regular to pick up any changes in yeah. personnel yeah. Um, in order to make sure that those relationships are relevant. You know, there's, you know, it's, it, I suppose it's things like, you know, if you have an annual review in my, in my, opinion that's that's sort of like 364 days too late you know you should be having them every other day you know you should, you, you need to be or, or where, where appropriate maybe every three or four weeks or a month or six months but certainly if you're going to leave it too long uh, you're going to be in trouble so those relationships are really really key um we will then um liaise with our various fund um fund teams uh, on the sell side um to make sure that we're positioning the asset um, so that, a it's perform pro performing properly and giving the returns uh, back to the fund uh, and then identifying the the appropriate moment to sell uh, and then uh, redeploy capital yeah from what you've just described uh, rex and, and from the bit that i know of you so that is exactly why you know so we we i've asked you to come on this you know needing that long-term view you know such a complex thing that and you know continuously changing how do you keep it relevant you know uh, a building is quite a fixed thing but so you need to be able to be adaptable enough to serve the end customer even if that end user might might change or that so how do you keep it you know yeah. adaptable enough while it's something that's relatively it's, fixed it's really hard um and i mean just to give you an example of those kind of timelines the uh, leadenhall behind me here we bought that in 2013 Okay, and it's just coming out of the ground now uh, and due for completion in 2025. So, you know, there's 12 years straight mm, away. Wow. 
um, you know, it was occupied for the first four of those years. Um, so, you know, that gave us time to understand what we wanted to try and deliver, um, try and secure planning. Um, so actually we got a planning permission in 2016, then we revised that in 2019, agreed a pre-let in 2020, and now we're building. So trying to keep it relevant is really hard. I mean, especially in an age where things move incredibly quickly. And I would say that you know, the fastest moving piece on the, of the puzzle is, is, is the environmental and sustainability piece. So again, Leadenhall here, and, and the majority of the, the buildings in the city are uh, gas fired, run gas fired boilers, for example. Now, those aren't very popular, plus the, um, the impact that um, the Ukrainian crisis sort of triggered at the beginning of the year, where gas prices suddenly escalated. Uh, you're also looking down the barrel of can you even procure gas? Um, it, it, it sort of forces not only the environmental, but just the, the whole financial um, model into, into a bit of jeopardy. Um, so suddenly you're looking at, okay, I've, I've just gone, I've just dug a big hole. I've poured in a couple of thousand tons of concrete. Uh, and now I've got to try and see whether or not I can change the, the main plant of this building from electric to, uh, sorry, from gas okay. to electric. So, um, unfortunately, in this case here, we weren't able to, to make that change. So there are some things that you just cannot change. So you say, okay, well, if we can't change that, what can we do instead? Um, part of Brookfield, uh, the, the wider Brookfield piece, um, is I think we're one of the largest private um, owners of wind uh, turbine, wind farms in the world. So we are lucky enough to be able to um, uh, source a lot of our energy for our portfolio um, uh, from renewable okay. from renewable energy. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and whilst we would have normally funded that in through um, through an electric boiler, you know, okay, we are still going to have to to buy gas, but um, the offset that we can make from, from our renewable program um, gets us as far, you know, as far as we possibly can with the, our environmental uh, credentials in the building. Yeah, and Rex, in, in some respects, sorry, sorry, can I just, Rex, in some respects, you've got to be a futurist, haven't you, that when you, you started the build of the example of the, the lights of the, the one behind you, you, did, you obviously didn't have an idea yeah. about the Ukrainian war, you didn't have any idea about, about the pandemic. Um, but yeah. but but yeah, the the thing is physically building, um, yeah. and and you, you you've got to uh, just, so that that must be there's just so many moving parts in that. Yeah, so things like that you can say okay, well we can't deal we we just can't can't deal with that. But what else can we do? So you, you're always looking for other things. So a lot of the sustainability piece, um, it's not hugely well known, but should be in my view because I, I is the fact that. The way that offices are delivered are often delivered in what we call a cat A condition, which means that you have a floor in, built in uh, and all the air conditioning and uh, sort of ductwork and, and lighting pre-installed on the floor. Yeah. Um, often when an occupier comes in, a lot of that gets ripped out and just put in the skip because the way they everybody occupies an office slightly different, which is mind boggling. Okay, yeah. So what we do now uh, at Brookfield is we deliver space where we can in what we call a sort of a shell condition, um, which is means that we don't have any of that on-floor plant uh, for air conditioning in situ at, at the time. Yeah. Um, and we offer a contribution and, and obviously some technical advice on how to deliver um, the combination of those that on-floor plant plus how yeah. a tenant occupies. So they're fit out, if you like, yeah. um, in order to eradicate waste um, uh, and, and again, improve the uh, the carbon load of the building. So Rex, and I, I was at a um, meeting yesterday, and I had Kevin Cox, uh, chair of the RSVP, there with with a group of dairy farmers, and there was a big, intensive discussion around you know around the environment. Where does that responsibility lie? Is it you know at the primary uh, producer? Is it the end consumer? The supply chain, uh, and you know, so where and how much of each of that? you know and responsibility lies with each of those parts do you get a lot of of uh, pressure from your end customer on on that and does that affect and how you you build and how you 
rent different spaces because of the end user? Yeah, I think actually the, you know, businesses, you know, obviously in the, in the city core here and across the UK, you know, the, the variety of businesses are so huge, you know, everything from the financial guys who, you know, need high density for trading uh, through to lawyers who want heavily boxed up floor space through to tech guys who want, you know, really funky fit outs. Again, it's, it's they are not property experts, right? They, they want to try and spend as little time procuring their office and then delivering the fit out to suit how their style of occupation is possible. So I think whether we like it or not, quite a lot of the responsibility probably has to land with, with the landlord who, whose core business it is to deliver space. Um, we recognize that, we don't always like that, but I think we recognize that from an environmental point of view, bearing in mind we're the guys pouring the concrete and delivering the, the building and how it will perform going forward, you know, we have to take on quite a bit of that responsibility ourselves. Um, to your point about what, what are occupiers expecting, they, again, they, they're looking for somebody to tick all the boxes for them. Um, so they will expect a building to, to have a certain set of environmental credentials. And I could bore you to tears with how many there are. <laughs> uh, you know, the EPC is probably the easiest to understand, yeah. which, which we have in a domestic capacity anyway in the energy performance certificate. Um, but we also have things like GRESB, which is the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmarking and all, mm. and all these other things. I, I won't bore you with them all. Um, but these are all targets that we as an industry are trying to hit and meet. Um, where the onus does come on slightly more onto the occupier is, you know, we as an industry or, or as a landlord can deliver a sort of as carbon neutral a building as possible. But when it comes to how that is operated, is very much um, a collaboration with the occupier because they're the guys that are in there, they're the guys that are using the electricity, etc. So, um, yeah, delivering the product is, is is very much on our shoulders. Uh, but enabling that collaboration to happen with our occupiers is is pretty key, and and there there is a role to play for those occupiers. And just moving, moving the conversation on a bit. So, you know, you, you obviously Brookfield properties and, and the building side of it, but ultimately it's part of Brookfield asset management. So how, you know, so how do those two, um, you know, work together, but also how, how do you decide or how does, you know, the asset management decide on what will be a good project to invest in and, and where should you stay clear of how, and how do you work that? Um, because ultimately you've got some shareholders that will, um, demand that you, you you know have a good return. So how how does that all work? Yeah, I mean that's, <laughs> that's a really complicated question. Um, but I suppose I mean BAM it, it's got 750 billion under management across the globe. I mean it's it's massive, and I've sort of alluded to the fact that it has you know we own wind farms, but we also own um, hydroelectric dams. We own residential uh, student housing logistics. Uh, we've got a private equity piece, we, you know, Centre Parks is, is a name that, you know, people know that might not realise that, that we actually own. So anything with sort of a bit of a property background that we can utilise is, is, is what we look at. And there is competition even within the portfolio com companies of BAM for the, the, the access to the cash that those, that, um, uh, that they, they generate in, in certain funds. So I suppose to, to try and answer your question, we, we have various different fund types, if you like, depending on what uh, sort of risk profile uh, is, is being, or, or performance is being delivered under that fund. So, you know, you might have a core fund, which tends to be lower risk, which tends to have some, some pre-existing income in it. Um, or you might go for a, uh, like a core plus, which is like a bit more of a, an active management play. So you know, there might, there's like an asset management play in there. Um, or there might be a sort of an opportunity fund where you might buy, try and buy a distressed asset and, and completely re-deliver a new scheme. Um, and very often one morphs into the other. <laughs> so <laughs> you buy a scheme with one, with one um, idea in mind and it actually becomes something else just by dint of the, yeah. Uh, of, of life getting in the way of strategy. And I guess where, where I'm heading is here, yeah, what can farmers learn from that strategy? And how can you simplify that of, yeah. of where can farmers 
um, you know, what can they do to not, when they're looking at an investment? You know, yeah. at very much different scales, but you know, uh, well, capital in uh, heavy investments. Well, I suppose it depends what your appetite to risk is to a certain extent. Um, but also, I think, you know, to, to the point I made, which was you buy it for one reason, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, once you get under the bonnet of, of, of that investment, um, it's going to do what you want it to, or you can push it in the direction that you want it to go. So I think it's probably being a bit agile with it. Um, it, it's not the end of the world if it if it doesn't necessarily do what you want it to from day one. You can actually look at it and say, well, look, okay, we, we've got this now. How best can we make? What else can we do uh, to get the kind of returns that you want? And if you actually stop and think about it hard enough and, and are prepared to be a bit creative, um, you can you can actually find some some quite high value opportunities in there. Um, you know, we bought a um, as part of a a larger scheme we bought a, a series of buildings which we were looking to convert to offices uh, but it became fairly apparent you know after you know, we didn't have to run too much of a rule over it to realize that that wasn't going to work so using that BAM um, uh, connection again uh, we managed to segue it into uh, some student housing uh, and very successful wow. so I, I yeah so I, sp I suppose it's just being um, being agile with your assets is, is maybe the segue. Rex, I, I think the, the energy model is is really interesting. There's a there's a um, a large vertical farm that's about to go live um, in the eastern regions, and the, the investor there owns a, a very large um, uh, offshore tur turbine uh, unit, and uh, that's going to be advantageous to that that vertical farm because the power is going to come in uh, direct when it's not going into in, into the grid. And, and Rex, you'll know far far better than than I and Isaac that the spread of how much of that power goes into the grid and how much is um, is a, is, a, is available. And I'm, I'm amazed, naively amazed that uh, that's that's actually within your business model. So that's advantageous to your your tenants that you can supply the power. And it's it's almost like we've gone through this. My, my word of the phrase of the year last year, societal change, that you, you've come up with a solution to creating perhaps not cheap energy, but reliable um, and, and affordable energy for your for your tenants. And, and, and Isaac, do you think that's something we, we might see with farmers or farming groups that they might look to invest in solar parks um, or, or wind turbines to give them security of energy? Do you think we might be duplicating uh, Rex's business model even more so? I, th I think you know, so obviously uh, a few years ago there was you know, a lot of in investment and, and farmers going into renewable energies. The terms have slightly changed, but I think it's still it's still a lot of farms see it as a as a good investment, um, you know, with feeding tariffs and and the rest. But also I think you're right, and um, going forward with with en energy, you know, yeah, the instability of of you know supply that might be something that actually is, is an added bonus rather than you know, just a pure diversification is the stability it could potentially give to your business. So, yeah, I think that might might be a you know a consideration going forward. Yeah, but um, um, Rex, with you being the futurist, as as we've labelled you, just to give you a scenario within, um, I guess, major on specifically East Anglia where we're based, there's there's a view that with climate change, that farmers in um, might be this generation, might be the next generation, will be growing different crops uh, because of uh, 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 increased temperatures and increased uh, sunlight. And also there's a shortage of water in the likes of Norfolk. So potato growers might have to stop growing potatoes and grow other things. All of those crops need uh, buildings and infrastructure to, to store them. If, if, you, if you were a farmer advising farmers, um, how, how would you look to future-proof what they're building now or considering to build three years, five years out so that they can future-proof those, those buildings in respect of they might be growing different crops which might need uh, diff, different different requirements? Or it's a holy one, Rex. What, what would your advice be to, to the farming community on that basis? Um, I think build as much volume as you can. Uh, build wow. si as simply as you can and as modular as you can. Um, and I think, you know, with, with, you know, from an office point of view, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, how different can an office really be, um, you know, to today, you know, it, it's, the, the shift is, is quite, quite dramatic. So, you know, we, we, that's what we try and tend to deliver is, is volume. Um, it's things like, 
thinking about where technology might take you um, without without over committing to doing something that you might have to unpick quite badly in the future yeah. in the future so for example it's probably quite easy for us to deliver when we when we build a building is to extend the lift shaft to the roof for example now uh, you might think well it probably does that anyway but it doesn't so you extend it to the the roof and suddenly you have enabled drone delivery to come into <laughs> wow. a building right? so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some, something is, is relatively simple and, and as unobtrusive as that. If they never deliver anything, you've, yeah. you haven't really invested it in a huge amount more. All you've done really is poured another layer of concrete at the top of your building. Yeah. But if, if, you know, I think, again, unfortunately, uh, things like war actually often, often help us innovate a lot yeah. you know, by, by necessity. Um, drone technology is certainly is, is having its it's probably hey, heyday albeit for, for unpleasant reasons at the moment but you know those are the kind of things we, we have to look at um part of that that strategy leads into the environmental piece as well which is things like consolidated deliveries um to try and remove traffic off uh, off site so you know you have um you have a warehouse a mile outside London that consolidates all your deliveries and then brings them in so yeah. uh, so that you're minimizing the amount of traffic so I don't know whether consolidated delivery is, is relevant or, or might even work but you know why not you know there must be some kind of cooperative in terms of deliveries yeah. that may or may not resonate somewhere yeah but, but I, I've just had a whatsapp message um uh, the points that, that Rex says about about modular. Uh, what about lifespan? Should we be building uh, buildings for a shorter lifespan than we are currently, on the basis that we might have to repurpose them in the future for for, for, for different crops? So on that modular basis, specifically, Rex, hold our hand. Um, if if you set them up so that they can be um, added to or broken down and repurposed 10, 15, 20 years down the line, is, is, again, is that what you're you're thinking of on that modular basis and in, in um, respect to farming? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Yeah, I mean, modular is a bit difficult because it's still relatively uh, a relatively new technology, I think. And anything that you can pull apart and put together again, probably by necessity has a slightly shorter shelf life anyway, yeah. just because, okay. you know, yeah. as, as stuff happens. But, um, you know, accidents happen, things get broken on route. Um, yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. I still think that you should be, we should be looking more longer term. Um, but it... Yeah, there are still some amazing materials which can last long term, which are a lot more flexible, you know, like sort of cross laminated timber, for example, as opposed to steel. Um, but even steels can be re reused. So, I mean, there are various schemes now where uh, in the city where steels from demolished buildings are being reused um, in, in the new entity in order to yeah. try and avoid this idea of, of getting rid of this embodied carbon or losing yeah. embodied carbon. Yeah. So yeah, recycling and, and 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 modular build, I think, has to. And and that you know, back to your original point of you know Diagon Alley there behind you and, and the building yeah. on top of it. How do you? you know, that that's always and and like uh, Max said on farms, that's quite often a, a a thorny issue as well. So how do you how do you keep the legacy? How do you keep um, some of that you know history and do something that is maybe you know changing quicker and quicker? Yeah, um, it's it's a real balance, and and you know I think what we what we feel certainly with Leadenhall Market is that we we're almost its guests, so we're we're there is already a community there, and we're trying to grow. We're we're just taking the community up, you know, vertically. We're not we're not trying to sort of usurp it horizontally. I mean, a lot of that is to do with the planners, and there are some incredibly strict rules. Um, in order to pre preserve the history uh, and the feel of, uh, of, of a, the area or, or a location, none so sort of strict probably than the St Paul's sight lines, for example, which are dotted around, I think there are seven or eight spots uh, around London. Um, Primrose Hill is, is an example where you have to be able to see the, the dome of St Paul's uh, and you're not allowed to build into it. Uh, and that's actually delivered some amazingly Odd-shaped buildings as a result, where um, 
where developers have looked to try and maximize their site but have had to uh, you know angular you know put in a big angle uh, on their oh, facade in order, in order to preserve uh, those sight lines so yeah we, we, we're very much the custodians uh, as far as we're concerned you know we're not necessarily we're, we're there to sort of try and future-proof the city because I think you know we have to evolve um, but it is done so very much with where we've come from in mind. Yeah. So you know, something like the Gherkin, you know, what was it like working on on something like that? Did you know? Did you know right from the start this is going to be quite an iconic thing? And <laughs> yeah. Or, how, yeah. What yeah, what I were mean, your role in that? And and then how does it work? Yeah. I mean, that was sort of back in the early two thousands, which yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of thick end twenty years ago now, isn't it? Really, God help us. Um, <laughs> it was. It was fascinating because it was one of the very first sort of towers that that came up in in uh, in the city, um, apart from a couple that were built in the sort of seventies, like or eighties, like Tower Forty Two. Um, so it was really visible on the skyline, um, very iconic. Uh, probably, uh, probably uh, a building where, probably being polite, where perhaps the architect was allowed to. Uh, design form over function a little bit oh careful so, Rick. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I'd probably, I'd probably get strangled but um yeah so as, as an office is it the most office in the, uh, sorry is it the most efficient office building probably not is it beautiful from the outside yes it is yeah. um can you now see it on the on the horizon no you can't unfortunately it's been dwarfed now by uh what we call the tower cluster again where um uh, city Corporation has identified an area in the city to build tall buildings outside of that St Paul's sightline envelope. Um, so I mean, it was an amazing thing to work on. The the because the building curves away at the top. Uh, in order to access the top of the building, you had to go up in a lift along the side, uh, vertical lift, and the, the building curved away from it. So it was a little gangplank, uh, effectively linked yeah, the two great. together. So. Uh, yeah, it was a walking the plank between with with thin air underneath you was, was a little <laughs> bit hair raising, but um, iconic. Uh, and yeah, you, you did feel like you were shaping the landscape a bit. Wow. And that that's actually one of the things that I really like about what we do is that you do, you you don't just get to uh, shape the skyline, but you also get to form the public realm as well. So it's that interaction with with the public realm I think is really important. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, if you said to me in the city, do you want to go and have lunch? You'd probably have to go underground and it'd be good old fashioned spit and sawdust. Um, and then if you wanted to have a drink after nine o'clock in the evening, you went to the West End. Whereas I think um, the way that occupiers and people like to like to come into the office uh, and have more than just an office experience, um, you know, the, the nightlife, the restaurant life, the leisure industry is absolutely bloom bloomed and sort of flourished in the city as well so the streetscape's much more interesting it's so much more green uh, and again whenever we develop anything um, we always try and deliver into the public realm yeah I, I, I love I love what you said uh, Rex about uh, the likes of Primrose Hill you got to be able to see St Paul's <laughs> a farm friend of mine in, in Norfolk has just whatsapped and said uh, up in Norfolk uh, our sight lines on a good day is 18 telegraph poles on a, on a on a bad day when it's fog, it's two telegraph poles, so they, they don't don't have that issue with them with them sight lines. Just just explore that um that element you talked about uh, earlier about consolidation. Um, I, I don't know if the stat's still the same, but I, I remember um a, a, a quote from I think it was Times Radio stating when they had an expert like yourself on saying that for every additional uh, billion pounds that's spent online, there's another three quarters of a million pounds of storage required. Um, and we're definitely seeing that where, where I'm based in Bray St. Edmunds, um, that we've got these mega sheds being built for for um, for uh, for uh, uh, companies, whether it be sneaker companies or, or whether it be the for, for the likes of home base. Um, so this this building volume element does seem to be um, so so true. Farmers and Isaac, will correct me um, if, if not. And sometimes not the the best at being collaborative. Do do, do you think with this? This, this new way of thinking, if we are going to build on volume, if we are going to build a modular, um, that we do have to come together, we do have to collaborate more rather than than just being our single entity uh, to make sure that we are um, surviving for, 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 the, for the future. What, 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 do you, what do you think, Rex, from a farming perspective? Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think it's sort of, 
I, th I think there are, this is probably multi-layered actually. It, it, I think maybe farming needs to, you know, we as an office industry didn't really engage with, with the public realm or, or, you know, the public at large, if you like. You know, it was, it was sort of an enclosed office serious ecosystem. Whereas actually now I think we are trying to embrace, uh, you know, make, make buildings more permeable and more accessible. And I wonder actually whether that as a, as a philosophy might not be a bad idea to sort of bring, you know, bring British farming back, back up the agenda. I mean, it's so such not a, just your first customer as your kind of end customer or, or the wider public. Well, yeah, why not? And yeah, I mean, you know, we, we have, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, we, we have programs throughout the year where we get schools and all sorts of people into our buildings and, and try and, uh, wow. and get, get them engaged. Um, yeah, so you know, across the, across the board, we try and find, we try and make spaces for community um, space. So you know, we'll you know, we'll try and we'll try and enable. So we, we're, there's a scheme that we're trying to develop just um, about half a mile away from where I'm sat now, uh, where there is a there is quite a big community, including a student community. There's the Guildhall School of Music is, is sort of next door, and we're looking at actually how do we deliver as part of this redevelopment. Um, you know, community accessible space, uh, so that we we can we in the building can engage with all the different occupiers. You know, there's a, there's a, a residential piece down there as well. So it's trying to make us more more accessible and, and permeable, really. Yeah, uh, Rex, as a, as a you know working in the city, total outsider's view. You know, what is your thoughts on agriculture? Where do you see the future? Where where's the big wins for agriculture from? You know, very much an outsider's view. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think we're probably hiding our light under a bushel, actually, um, from from a, an agricultural point of view. You know, I think there's, there's a lot more to be said, and, and I suppose from a city point of view, you know, I see res the restaurants and the, and the offerings that that flourish here are the ones that offer the best of British, in my oh, view, okay. and so you know, and source source food locally. You know, and I don't think that's probably just a London centric thing. I think you see it more and more. You know, the the um, yeah the F and B that flourishes, that's sort of food and beverage to use a sort of uh, is um, yeah. I think the ones that really flourish are the ones that embrace locality, and I think that's that's definitely under under tapped. Excellent. That's good. Good insight. Yeah, um, I, I'm aware we we some uh, getting short on time. Um, how can we become better leaders? How do you know, in, a, in an industry like yourselves? I'm sure you know, there's there's uh, a lot of um, you know schemes in place and that. But so how do we become better leaders of our own business or, or in a business? Yeah, I think I think probably it's a really simple one and probably one that you've heard before. But it's amazing how bad people are at doing it, and that is listen. <laughs> well done well done you know of, often we we sit and we wait for someone else to stop speaking so that we can say something um and i'm sure we've all been there <laughs> and done it but um listening doesn't necessarily mean that you you have to you know make a decision based purely on what you know you, you don't have to agree with that that the view but it, it should you need to understand both sides of an argument in order to make in my view, a valid decision, even if the, the opposite argument validates yours. And you shouldn't be afraid to, you, you shouldn't be afraid to be wrong either. You know? And that's why a lot, of, a lot of people don't listen because they don't want to be proved wrong. So if you, can, if you can listen and be brave enough to say, do you know what, that's a really good point. You've changed my mind. I think that's incredibly powerful. So, that's, so that's, that's what I would encourage. People are too scared of being wrong. I think that's a very good point, Max. Um, it, it is. It is. I'm, I'm bloody so, so, so much for this. I, I say, can I see a question on what we've, we've just, just learned from, from Rex? Say that again, Max. Can I just ask you a question, Isaac? From yeah, what we just so, so I'm, I'm just going to put, put you up as the, um, as, as the expert in, in, in farming. Um, uh, Tesco, um, Rex, this would be interesting for you. Tesco um, had this issue about ooh, uh, five, six years ago that they had 112 independent pack houses in the UK packing fruit and veg for them in, in the UK, and they deemed that that was that was obviously too 
too many because um, there's so much duplication and there's so much profitability held up within the supply chain within agriculture, horticulture, fresh produce. So they wanted to get that 112 down to 12. Um, so go, it comes back to what you were saying, Rex, about building volume and, and modular. And there's a, a couple of businesses who actually then uh, went to Tesco and uh, created a, a collaboration, created alliances to um, make uh, pack houses, large pack houses um, that have now proved to be very, very successful and have uh, managed to streamline the supply chain within within fresh produce. And um, Isaac, just to use that, that phraseology again, that there's so much proper, profitability held within the supply chain. And we've got all of these farms doing um, a lot of the same things. And, and what Rex was saying about cons consolidation, do, do you think this is a, a route that farm farmers should go down, whether it be bulk storing their milk, whether it be bulk storing their grain even more so, uh, whether it be bulk, uh, bulk storing or, or, or processing um, animals? Do you think we need to see a bit more of a revolution um, Isaac, in, in, in the terms of that 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 consolidation, that uh, that collaboration within agriculture, from what we've learned from from Rex, I yeah, I, I think it it you know it already happens in in places, but I think farming because of the history and and you know and you 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 live and you own quite often and where um, and it's you know such an integral part. Farmers are quite uh, fiercely. You know, independent, but you know, we we see machinery rings, we see, see buying groups, you know, where farmers do collaborate, um, whether that's in discussion groups or business groups, where they collaborate and, and do things together. They are, you know, so much more uh, power there. They draw some of that power back into their own, you know, on their side of the fence. So, you know, when they go into negotiations and and the rest, that is, you know, so so powerful for them. So, yeah, I definitely think. That's a that's a um, you know good idea and and something that could and should happen more. Isaac, thank you. Uh, Rex, would you ever buy a farm? Uh, yeah, it depends what kind of farm it was. Actually, Brookfield Asset oh. Management ever buy a farm? Just I just been asked. Yeah, well, it depends what it is. It probably have to be quite big. Oh, I'll, oh yes. Yeah, no, that, well, again, that's an interesting point. At the Oxford Farming Conference that we talked about earlier, there was the the, the new proprietors of a large farm, uh, Rex, called Strutton Parker Farms, and and they they bought, oh, I think it was twelve farms. I can't, I can't remember the, the exact um, acreage, but um, we had a great presentation from one from the um, one of the founders of the business that that, that took it on, um, that invested, that that bought the business. And I asked him um, if another Strutton Parker Farms came on the market. Uh, would you go again? And, and without hesitation, he said, he said yes. So, so just out of curiosity, is, is that something that Brookfield Asset Management has, has ever looked at in, in the way of diversifying your portfolio? Would, would you ever um, look at land? Uh, not really. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think so, no. I mean, we, 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 we look at land probably as, as an ancillary to something else, perhaps. Yeah, um, but I don't think we—I don't think agriculture per se is on our agenda. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're we're more likely to buy, you know, a, an asset which we think we can reshape. So, you know, for example, we bought a massive portfolio of, of shopping centres in in America, wow, um, which were huge and underutilised, uh, and you know, you, you can repurpose those into mixed proper big mixed use schemes as we describe them rather than just a just a big shopping center you know, yeah. so you, you yeah we look to probably repurpose rather than yeah. uh, than go into an agricultural piece but you never know uh, the, the, to be fair actually we might be in something that i literally have no idea about no no it's, it's fine no, that's <laughs> the purpose and and and, and uh, rex just to put you on the spot we've just, i've got a, um, uh, a member of a buying group says would you sell your renewable electricity to farmers uh, I'm sure we probably do somewhere along the line. Oh, there yeah, you go. But, okay. You know, we, we, as I say, we, we, we also have a, you know, for example, we, we have a hydroelectric dam. Uh, <laughs> I think in, we've got Wales first, first hydro, I think is an amazing. Oh, stop showing, stop showing off. Yeah. Oh, we own a but, dam. So yeah, <laughs> I think we've got a few probably, but um, yeah, so yeah, we probably, we may do, we may already do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, I'm just aware of time. Uh, Go on, Isaac. Rex, a couple of final questions for you. What yeah. philosophy would you say you live your life by? Oh, uh, I'm a big fan of, it's probably 
the, the big religions of the world probably try and co-opt it, but I, I'm not a particularly spiritual man, but I do believe in what goes around comes around. Um, so yeah, that's probably, yeah, karma, I suppose, is, 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 is perhaps the closest I, I'd, I'd get to a philosophy. Yeah, yeah, what goes around comes around, I think. Excellent. And then um, if you could tell your younger self anything, uh, what would that be? Uh, <laughs> what would I say? Oh yeah, um, I would probably say there is never a good, there is never the right time to do anything. So just <laughs> dive in. Excellent. Say yes, take the opportunities as they come, crack on. Yeah, be curious. Brilliant. Well done. Well yeah, done excellent. Excellent. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, for joining us, Rex. Um, That's right. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's been really good fun. Um, any farmers that are listening, uh, we're having the AgriLeader Forum on the 7th and 8th of February in Stratford. So please get in touch. And um, we're really excited about the lineup that we've got for that. And we'll see you, if not there, next time at one of these. And, and before we go, I've just had a WhatsApp from a farmer, uh, Rex, on North Norfolk. Uh, would you sell him one of your turbines out to sea? Would you sell him a turbine? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get it named for him. It's fine. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's what he wants. I'll go, I'll go and fish it out. <laughs> so, so just to wrap up, I think it, 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 as I said earlier, it's so insightful having the, the individuals like Rex said, who, who doesn't ultimately know too much about our, our sector, but we can learn so much from you. Rex, I've learned so much about you about future proofing where we need we need to build in volume and we need to be modular and, and that whole consolidation element. And it's uh, as Isaac um, mentioned, it's something that we're perhaps not uh, akin to in, in respect of the collaboration, but perhaps to be even more successful as a farming sector, we, we need to promote ourselves more, Rex, as you as you intimated, and also just look at our, our our internal supply chain system and not be, would you recognise it, not be too independent and look to collaborate with our with our uh, partner farmers, with our neighbouring farmers. Definitely. We always achieve uh, more together. Boom, there we go. Um, Isaac, thank you very much. Rex, thank you very much. We, we look forward to your next big project in London and uh, and hopefully look, looking, uh, going to the very top and getting some great views. <laughs> yeah, come and sit, I'll show you. Come, come in, whatever you like. Excellent. Thank you, Rex. Thank you, Isaac. Thanks, Rex. Thank you. Bye-bye.